0: Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixer G, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses for an audience of real entrepreneurs. Dude, I don't remember when I first found out about today's guest uh, software, but it's the freaking name that just got my attention immediately. Here it is. Less Annoying CRM. Think about Tyler King as a founder. He's here to talk about how he did. it. Tyler, think about what you embed in that freaking name. First of all, the guts to go long and not give it a name, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people did not uh, were not did not like the length of the name when it first came out. It is a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) Truthfully, I don't know if I love it either. It doesn't. It's I I don't know either.
0: But it caught my attention instantly and dude, does it communicate something? Number one, you communicate how CRM, the software that we're supposed to use to manage the people we work with, it's just crappy. And the higher up the organization you go, I mean, the bigger the organization, the higher, the the higher number of people, the worse it is. It's just awful mess. But you didn't just, do that. You didn't just point out to them. You're also saying less annoying. You're like acknowledging this thing that I created that I'm selling to you has annoyance in it. The (laughs) nerve on you, the guts to be able to say that. How am I not paying attention when you create a software like that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. People either love it or they hate it. Um, You know, I'm kind of of the opinion, like I'd rather uh, 10% of people love me, even if the other 90% hate me, but uh, it's definitely a polarizing approach.
0: (laughs) No, no. If you had a ton of money, if you're going after bigger businesses, absolutely. I'd say get rid of the name. But you're going after small businesses, mm-hmm. right? You don't have funding. It's it, it makes total sense to take it and just run with that. All right. Tyler King is the founder of Less Annoying CRM. I invited him here to talk about how he built up this company and we're going to talk about it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you like what I'm doing and you want to create something yourself on the internet, I highly recommend that you go host your website on HostGator. And if you use HostGator.com slash Mixergy, um, you'll be telling them that I sent you, which is great for me. And number two, if you want to start selling to your audience, not just advertising to your audience, but also adding a membership uh, component, I highly recommend that you go to Memberful. And if you go to Memberful.com Mixergy, they'll let you try it for free, but I'll talk about those later. First, Tyler, good to have you here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. I uh, have been following you ever since the very early days. I learned a lot about how to start a business from you.
0: Thanks for listening. Um, was there a question you were afraid that I would ask you, or feel like maybe I don't want to go on because you're going to do that?
1: Well, I am. You know, I know you always say you you can say no to answering a question. I'm kind of I'm. I'm wondering what it's going to be. So I'm looking forward to finding out how you're going to try to push me here. <laughs> Hopefully
0: not. I, I just want to understand when with as much depth as possible, not pry into your bank account. Having said that last four digits of your social are
1: <laughs> yeah, here we go. Uh, <laughs> what no, is your, I, I, what
0: is your revenue? What do you feel comfortable sharing revenue wise?
1: Yeah, we're pretty transparent about all that stuff. So uh, revenue right now is uh, 3.26 million ARR.
0: Wow. Profitable over a million dollars.
1: Yeah. Um, so we've kind of been, you know, we're one of those, we've been profitable since day one, if you ignore Mm -hmm. founder salaries and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I'd say just in the last year or two, we kind of hit the point from not just profitable, but actually like have a nice financial buffer and, uh, kind of comfortable rather than always right on the edge of profitability.
0: (laughs) You've discovered this because you were supposed to do what so many other, uh, employees at bigger companies do. You were told to go sign up for Salesforce. Talk about what you found when you were told to go sign up for them.
1: Yeah. So this would have been back in 2008, I think. So a while ago, Uh, but yeah, my, you know, my bosses at my last job said, go, go get us set up with Salesforce. We're going to use them for the CRM. And uh, I was just put on a phone call with what I later found out was one of their sales reps. And I just had questions and I was just like, how do you do this? How do you do that? You know, does it have this feature? Every single question, the answer was, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. Uh, Can we talk pricing? And I was like, I I don't even know. I don't have a credit card. I don't know. Basically, I was just trying to talk to somebody who could help me even understand how to sign up. I didn't even know how to get an account and uh, I just couldn't do it. And then once I got an account, it took, I spent a month on it trying to get it set up. I have a degree in computer science. I was like, I'm technical. I can figure this out. And after a month, I just gave up. I just, we we bailed on it.
0: (laughs) And didn't even implement it. What'd you end up going
1: with? Uh, well, oh, this was 2008. Actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We ended up, it didn't matter. that The company later on after I left did go with Salesforce. I guess they found someone who understood how it worked, but, uh, we just didn't have a CRM, uh, for a while after that.
0: This was a company where you went to work for them and then there was layoff soon afterwards, right?
1: Yes. So pretty classic venture capital model where they raised a bunch of money. I was one of the, I think I was employee number eight, uh, a year later they'd hired, uh, up to 25 people. So, you know, pretty fast growth or normal growth for a VC-backed company. Uh, and then the normal playbook is you run out of money, you raise more, uh, and you grow even faster. Problem is, if uh, the Great Recession happens right before you raise that second round, uh, investors don't really want to give money to startups in that environment. So basically, the day after the main stock market crash in 2008, uh, 20 out of the 25 people got laid off from the company.
0: Why, Why were you one of the four?
1: because uh, I was the cheapest. I think I was the lowest paid employee there or one of the lowest paid. They kept what the you, five cheapest people. <laughs> what were you doing? I was a software engineer, but you know, it was one of these companies, there were like 10 people with chief something officer mm-hmm. titles, and then like five of us who actually, you know, were doing a lot of the work and just <laughs> fresh out of college. Did
0: I hear right that even the CEO fired himself? Mm-hmm. That's true.
1: Yeah, so because there was a founder, but who had then fired a di- or hired rather a different CEO. So the CEO was not the founder of the company. And when he was like, well, obviously the company's not going to work. Uh, I, I kind of understand you? from his perspective, like no point in staying. And then since there
0: were four or five people there, you ended up kind of leading the company. You saw this problem and you said, I think I'm going to solve it. Did you solve it internally at this startup or did you go off and create less annoying CRM?
1: Yeah. So what happened is uh, me and my friend Rick, who also worked there, he's kind of on the sales side and I'm on the tech side. So we kind of teamed up and um, we started a new plan there, which was we we sold health benefits software through health insurance agents. So we basically said when a health insurance agent goes to a company to sell them insurance, we said, why don't you also sell our technology alongside it? In order to help do that, I built a CRM for our insurance for our insurance agent partners that were reselling our product just to help them sell our product. Turns out they had never heard of a CRM before. They thought it was awesome. They were they were like I want to be a reseller just so I can use the CRM that you built us. Um, and that was huh. kind of when I really saw like that I'd already had the bad experience trying to set up Salesforce and then I was like oh apparently building a CRM people actually like is not an impossible task. So those two things really combined together. You uh
0: what was it about your software that was so helpful for them?
1: I honestly think it's just that, like, this is going to sound like a platitude, but it's just that it was simple. And what I mean by that is, Salesforce came along and really revolutionized software in 1999, 2000. But they didn't actually change the product; they just made it available online. That's what Salesforce did: is they took the old CRM model that was only on site and they made it available over the internet. Um, but they still had the same model that every CRM company prior to them had had, which is you have to be a Fortune 500 company for this to make sense. Um, so really just starting from scratch and saying what a small business needs is not a quote unquote CRM. They need a contact manager. They need like something one step above the address book on your phone.
0: Uh, and it has to be shareable with others. Mm-hmm. And what else does it have to have?
1: Yeah. So in the very early days, it was basically a contact list, shareable with others and notes. So you could leave notes on contacts. hmm. And then I'd say the one other sort of uh, key feature is some sort of a pipeline type of thing. And by that, what I mean is uh, the most common use case is sales, but recruiting, any type of process where you're moving people through steps. You just want to be able to pull up a customer or a, co- a lead and see where they are in that process.
0: Uh, what is this person someone who we called? How many people did we call twice and need to follow up with? That kind of thing. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. total sense. And the cloud. It exactly. needed to be in the cloud. And we're talking about 2008, where the cloud was already a thing, but I still remember Basecamp was telling people, it doesn't matter if you're on a plane and can't use the software. You're hardly ever on airplanes. It doesn't matter if you're in a place without much internet. Was, was that true for you? I understand for project management, because people who are using Basecamp are, especially back then, were often sharing design, sitting at their desk and working. CRM is used on the go.
1: It's used on the go, but um, if you can't access the CRM, you also probably can't call your customer. Um, so actually, I think there was a lot of work convincing people that um, the cloud was secure and just that it's like kind of normalizing it. Uh, I don't think it really posed all that many practical problems for most people. The exception being if you're like a field sales rep where you're literally driving from client to client, um, yeah, probably a more, I mean, it was another five to 10 years before this became popular, but like a mobile-based CRM is probably what they would want.
0: Got it. And for you, you weren't thinking about people who are doing that. You said, great, we can create a simpler CRM, put it online, make it available, SaaS model. Who was uh, who were your heroes at the time? Who are the people who you're looking at and said, I think we can do something like them?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, most of the modern-day heroes <laughs> weren't established yet. So yeah, you mentioned Basecamp. They were definitely... I'd say they were the only bootstrapped company I'd even heard of, uh, to Mm -hmm. be honest, in the early days. So I think they've got to be my answer. And they were really good about
0: writing and teaching their process and condensing their ideas into simple, combative, but clear and sensical messages, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you said at the beginning kind of how bold our name is, and I I can't directly tie that to their ethos, but definitely seeing a company that's like, you know what, you don't have to please everyone and all that. Now, I realize Basecamp's kind of a loaded topic these days, but like, there's no question that they set the tone for what became the whole bootstrapper movement uh, over the last 10 years.
0: Got it. And so you're seeing this and you're saying, I I think I could do it. You now decide you're going to go off on your own and start the software from scratch. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, uh, inspired by my experiences at my previous company, but definitely started from scratch and uh, made a more general purpose CRM. Yeah.
0: And it was who you and your brother who are going to develop this together?
1: Yes, that's correct. So my brother Bracken is uh, my co-founder here and he's kind of the server infrastructure back type person. And I was more of the kind of product design and building the front end type of uh, person.
0: How good was that first version that you built in what was it, like half a year?
1: <laughs> oh, it was terrible. So first of all, our name was less annoying software at the time because we didn't think anyone knew what a CRM was. Ah, uh, okay. Um, turns out while we were correct, no one knew what a CRM was at the time. Uh, it's really hard to sell with a, a like to people who don't know your product exists. Uh, we chose to have zero colors on the website to emphasize how simple we were. That was a mistake. We didn't have a logo. It was just like a gray website with a contact list and put notes on it. It was the most basic thing you could imagine. So yes, it was uh, just absolutely terrible. Why was
0: the black and white something that you remember to this day? I actually thought that it was, it was helpful.
1: Um, yeah, I think that, so there's this concept I've learned since then called innovation tokens, which is you have a certain number of tokens uh, that you can use to kind of spend one if you want to innovate. And by innovate, I mean like do something that is swimming upstream, something that people aren't used to. Um, And I think in the early days, one of the mistakes that we made is we tried to innovate on everything. We just tried to think about everything from first principles. And we're just fighting a lot of battles that it's not that they were a mistake necessarily, it was just a waste of time, like it didn't matter.
0: Uh, That makes sense, right? So if if the software is different and the landing page is different and the way you're writing to us and the name is different, you just feel so different that I'm Mm -hmm. not ready to exit reality and enter your world unless you really make a compelling case. Got it. All right, that makes that makes a lot of sense. What are the features that you had in that first version? Was it just the standard fields and a note field and and share and that's it?
1: Uh yeah, and we did we did have a very basic version of that pipeline thing that I mentioned. It it's nowhere near where it is today, but um yeah, simple pipeline tracking, notes and a contact list.
0: The other thing that always stood out for me in addition to the name was you guys had the ability to just spin up a fully working version of the software where a lot of other people, I don't know where you came up with this idea, but it's great. A lot of other software, you have to create an account you have to trust them sometimes with your credit card. You have to then start populating it before you understand how it works. And again, going back to Basecamp, I tried Basecamp for project management so many times. I didn't fully get it. What do I do here? How do I have to create the road, then learn how to drive on it? It's too much. With you, what you guys do it Less Annoying is you just have this one button I, that I press and then the, the CRM is full. It's got contacts in it. I could start adding notes and I don't have to worry about, about it staying there forever because you say throughout it's going to disappear. Such a good idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, this, I think, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, it's core to the, when you name yourself less annoying, every single thing you do, you have to say like, is someone going to be able to email us and be like, ha ha, that wasn't less annoying. You're more annoying software. And uh, that kind of drives a lot of what we do. There's a lot of discussions like I'm in various startup communities and stuff like that. And people will debate, for example, do you you take a credit card at the beginning of the free trial or at the end? And there's a debate to be had, which one leads to more conversion rates, which one leads to more money. But if you look at it through the lens of which one's more or less annoying to customers, there's no debate. Like no customers, like I really wish they'd taken my credit card before I could have seen the product. So I do think it's a helpful framework, even if it creates a few extra hurdles to get over from a business standpoint.
0: Uh, Yeah, I always did wonder... You didn't have my email address. You didn't have time to follow up with me and say, you might've missed this one feature. You have to do it all at once. And if I'm confused, that's it. You don't even know that I was confused.
1: True. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're, you're right. Uh, and we have tested this out. We've, we did some A-B tests to say, if we don't have the live demo where you can use it without signing up versus if you do and stuff like that. And It it actually does turn out to be good for business also, but uh, okay. um, it's, uh, yeah, there are trade-offs involved for sure. Just tried this
0: other CRM. I'm constantly trying people's CRM because I do feel like this is, there's a lot of competition in the space, but also there's a lot of need. And anyway, so I tried this one company CRM. I'm getting flooded with email about everyone's birthday in my address book. I don't even know these people, but I guess I added (laughs) them over the years. And meanwhile, though, they are staying top of mind with me. It's just like, well, who is this person? And then I go and examine it. And unfortunately, I can't remember what email address I used to create the account exactly. And so, <laughs> or did I use my, oh, it's a whole big thing. Anyway, so I guess you lose out on that. But how often do you come back and say, this is what we stand for. We are not going to A, B test everything to death. We're going to say this this simplicity, it's going to be our guiding light. And we'll even lose some business over that.
1: Yeah, it's pretty It's it's the guiding light for sure, and it's especially easy to say that now. Like the reality is, the struggles you face in the early days are very different from the the challenges today. And we're kind of in a position now where, you know, it's okay if we don't optimize every single little thing. Um, I think that we do run A/B tests on things where I think it makes sense, but it's I kind of like life without optimization. If that makes sense. Yeah, I do. I I get it completely.
0: All right, and so the first version was launched. How did you get customers?
1: Yeah, this is where I'm weak, my brother's weak. Uh, you know, We're both kind of on the tech product side of it. So the this is going to be a boring answer, just Google AdWords. And it was cheaper back then to advertise on Google, although I still think the strategy could have worked, which is we just way overpaid. I mean, it was not profitable what we were doing, but it wasn't about getting customers. It was about learning mm-hmm. and seeing, is there a market for this and is it going to work? Um, so we were paying probably... I don't know, $1,000 to acquire one customer oh, wow. paying us $10 per month. How much money did you blow on that? Um, Probably, I, I want to say we were maybe, well, I can tell you this. In the early days, we were getting about one customer, uh, one customer a month. So okay. I'm guessing we were spending about $1,000 a month. Okay. All right. It's <laughs> not too bad, but wow, that's a painful way to survive for a few months, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, it took a long time, like a lot, like two and a half years before, uh, it was able to pay one person's salary. How did you get by on that? So, we both worked other jobs. My brother was working a full time job and then doing less annoying CRM kind of nights and weekends. I was doing 20 hours a week of kind of consulting or freelancing for my previous employer and then putting, you know, 40 or 60 or however much, however many hours I had towards less annoying. So, I actually think even though it was a lot of work, it was a lot less stress than a lot of startups are in because there's no runway. You know, we could keep doing that in theory forever. So we were able to be patient. We were able to say, you know, as long as we add one customer a month, like at least it's moving in the right direction.
0: You know, who's good at promotion is uh, Steven Allen from Less Accounting and they had a bunch of less stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And at first I thought maybe this is a connection between these two businesses because their whole thing was, let's simplify what I, I don't know them super well, but one thing that I noticed was they didn't stick with it as much as you did. They were really good at, at launching really good at thinking through the problem, really good at promoting it. I think for their accounting thing, they, they created a whole website where all they did was show how many people were complaining about QuickBooks on their (laughs) site. Right. It was, it was like, it it was just scraping Twitter or something. And it, it was fascinating and people would write about it and talk about it, but you didn't have that. You were never even part of the, the, The cool group, they would even do cruises and events Mm -hmm. and right. And you didn't do any of it.
1: Yeah, there, I mean, I, I later found out there was a whole kind of budding ecosystem of that, like micro comp and, you know, Basecamp certainly had a following and less accounting and all of these kind of the in group of people who were not just bootstrapping, but good at talking about it. And we were never particularly good at talking about it. So I think we were very much just off in our own little world, talking to customers and no one else.
0: You know what, Tyler, you actually told our producer, I don't even like talking to people. I didn't think of myself as a people person. The only reason you ended up talking to so many customers was you accidentally put your phone number on the site. How'd you do that?
1: Yeah, I just kind of was on autopilot. Like when you make a website, it needs a contact page. And the contact page, like how do people contact you? I guess phone and email. So I just put, I got a Google Voice number for the business, which forwarded to my cell phone and put my email address up there. And I didn't really think about it. And then, yeah, the first time my phone rang, it didn't occur to me to check, like, is this a business? I just assumed it was a friend or something whose number I didn't have saved in my phone. So I just picked up and was like, hey, what's up? And then it was a customer. <laughs> I love
0: when I do that. And then customers will say, is it really you? Well, yeah, of course. What What else do I have to do, right? <laughs> I This is... Uh, all right. Let me talk about my first sponsor and then we'll continue. You know what you get that a lot of other businesses don't get? It's nobody... People just understand that you're going to be charging. I feel like one of my my least favorite words is the word paywall for content. And it kind of connects into my sponsor, Memberful. For some reason, you go to a store, you buy a pack of gum, they charge you. They don't say they're putting up a paywall. It's like, you got to pay in order to get that, right? I come to a site, I want to buy my wife a scarf. It's not a a Shopify paywall. It's just you pay in order to get the freaking scarf. For some reason, when it comes to content, everyone says paywall. Well, I think we got to just drop that word or, or more importantly, forget about the word. That's just kind of dickering around. Forget quibbling. We have to drop the idea that when we charge for content, we are paywalling people. No, what we're doing is we're giving our business a chance to survive, a chance to to, to grow based on creating something that people care about. Anyway, what, is, what does that have to do with Memberful? We're now finally, as entrepreneurs, starting to understand that we should be charging even for content, that there's opportunities. We see people who are charging for their newsletters. We see people charging for their podcasts, for their membership. But A lot of them are using these platforms where now they're dependent on the platform, where they're disconnected from their customers because the platform is the one that has their customer base. Listen up, people. If you're thinking about content at all, you should be thinking about charging for some of it, and you should have a direct connection with your relationship, and that's where Memberful comes in. It is Software that will allow independent creators, publishers, educators, podcasters, basically anyone who creates content to sell and to do it in a humane way that allows them to grow, allows their customers to end the, and their audience to be the same, so that they could care about them just as much as the woman who cut my hair cares about me. And when I came in, right, she didn't say, "Hey, here's a paywall." I said, "Here's some chocolate for your for your kids who are sitting and watching you get a haircut." That's the way we want to be with our audience. That's the way we want to we want to be online. I highly recommend that you go and sign up for Memberful. It is now owned by Patreon, a company you know and you love and you trust. They are a great business, great software that will help you grow your content-based business. Go to memberful.com slash Mixergy, memberful.com slash Mixergy and get to use it right now. Try it for free. All right. but right. Pay- I, I've always hated paywall. I've never ranted about it because I don't want anyone on my company to say, oh man, I pissed Andrew off because I said the word paywall, but maybe I should.
1: It's a it's a good point that I had not heard before.
0: Thank you. All right. Um, pisses me off. All right. <laughs> um, you, you start hearing from people. What are you learning when they're calling you up? What do you learn that you didn't know?
1: So the most important thing is just how amazed they were that I picked up the phone. Because like, I I mean, I don't think I'm particularly gregarious now, but I definitely wasn't then. Like, I probably handled the phone call about as poorly as you could have. Uh, and they were just thrilled. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do anything wrong just by, by virtue of talking to another human. They were like, this is the CRM I'm going with. They were like, Done decision. Ah, got it, got it. So it's not even about understanding the problem. It's
0: not even about giving them a benefit. The fact that you're there, that you care, that you pay attention makes people feel closeness to you. It's almost un- unreasonable how mm-hmm. much value people place on that.
1: I don't blame them like the tech industry has done everything they can to dehumanize the the relationship between, uh, you know, the user and the, the software provider. And so, yeah, just hearing we're a person and people love asking questions like, so tell me about how you started. Tell me about like questions that don't help them use the CRM at all, but just right. learn about us. They care. Customers really are, are hungry for that type of thing.
0: I, I totally get it. I find myself choosing software based on who created it, choosing to make purchasing decisions. And I'm not someone who's like who's who's buying someone a coffee online or doing the tip jar or anything like that. i'm I'm not here to be your sugar daddy or to or to help you out that way. I am selfish in 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 my purchasing decisions, I have to admit. <laughs> and still. They care about me. They show that they're getting my kids some chocolate. They they tell me a little bit about who they are. I feel more trust in them than um, and maybe I, I'm entitled to, but it feels great. And I, I wish that more entrepreneurs knew it. A lot of them are not doing interviews, not doing blog posts, not twi- tweeting or doing anything, not being present. And they're really missing out on, on some personal contact. Uh, not to put down my sponsor, but I freaking love Memberful and what they're doing. The founder is not someone who's out there as much. And I think he should be. I think people would trust it more when they're thinking about Substack and how that lets you charge. If he was out there, they would say, all right, I get him. I understand. I like him. I trust him. Let me try his software.
1: Yeah, especially in the early days, because, you know, it's always a David and Goliath thing. Like your, your competitors have every advantage when you're first getting started. So you've got to do what you can to stand out. And so you got to ask yourself, what can't they do? And mm. they certainly can't have the founder pick up the phone.
0: I want to know about what else you decided, what else you answered to that question. But first, aren't you doing a podcast now? How'd you go from being this guy who didn't feel <laughs> comfortable talking? Am I right? You're doing a podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So how did you make this transition?
1: Um, yeah, I'd say just over the last couple of years. So the, the podcast uh, Startup to Last is its name. Um, we just hit our uh, 100th episode, so about two years. So about two years ago, I basically decided I wanted more of a community. Um, And I think if if I can reflect on that a little bit, in the early days, being a founder is not particularly lonely. I mean, it is in the sense that you're the only one or one of a small group of people working at the company, but you don't have to be particularly protective about, like secretive about what you're doing. As you hire more people, I found that more and more challenges that I was dealing with, I couldn't talk it's not that I'm trying to be secretive to employees or anything, but like other founders might be a better group to talk to than people within my company who are working on a totally different set of problems. Um, and so as we grew and started having more employees, I think is when I started having a hunger for saying, I want to, I want to like go out and be more connected with people running other businesses. So I got more active on Twitter, started a podcast with Rick, the person I mentioned that I worked with at my last job. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I mean, partially exhausting and I'm sort of, Like, I don't want to do more than I'm doing now, but uh, it's been really nice having a little more community on the internet.
0: What have you gotten out of being public like that?
1: Uh, One is just a lot of kind of like Twitter buddies, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, If you just say stuff that's not overly self-promotional and hopefully somewhat valuable sometimes. Uh, I think it just like over time, it builds up and you used the word trust earlier. For me, trust is everything. And if you just uh, share what you have to, to say, you build trust with people and eventually that turns into real, real relationships. So I've just got, I mean, it's a small group of people, but five or 10 people that I didn't know that I know because of the podcast or just being open on Twitter.
0: I find that it helps me in so many ways so many ways that I can't even list it. Like one example is I couldn't figure out there was an issue with our membership software when we created it ourselves. It was such a pain in the butt. I was at a conference. It might've been MicroConf, actually. I'm pretty sure it was. Sitting Mm -hmm. next to Ruben Gomez of BitSketch. He's sitting there. He's asking what's going on. Somehow we get into this one issue. He says, let me take a look. And he solves it while we're listening to a presentation. He gets into the code and he fixes the freaking problem. Wow. Now, how else <laughs> am I going to find somebody who does that? I have to go online and look for somebody, hope they know what they're talking about, hope that they care enough about the product to anticipate my needs and then trust my site to them. That's yeah, that makes sense, but it's hard.
1: I had this experience. The, uh, one of the developers on my team is working on a technology called Elasticsearch, which it's not new tech, but it's new to <laughs> us. Uh, we just had, we were like, is, is this, are we doing this right? Like we've never worked with this before. And I just sent out one tweet and like 10, 15 experts at Elasticsearch just reached out to me and were like, Hey, I'll talk to you. Send me your questions. And immediately we got our question answered. It's, it's really valuable to have a so network
0: good. of peers. Yeah. yeah. And I love when people ask for that stuff and that, and I know it because that's another opportunity for me to connect with them in an even deeper level. It's It's just fantastic. It does take a little bit of work to get things going, though. Um, All right. You were saying that you're starting to learn from people things uh, from phone calls, right? And that Mm -hmm. you uh, let's continue with what else you learned, and then we'll see what else could you do as a startup that's smaller that the bigger guys can't compete with. But what did you learn beyond that they liked you? (laughs)
1: Um, And yeah, so let me just talk one more like a little more about Mm -hmm. why does it matter that they liked us? I never had any intention of customer service being an important part of the business. As a matter of fact, I explicitly wanted not to have a lot of customer service, yep. but that's that's the thing we learned is like, well, I guess we're going to invest in having the best customer service in the industry. Uh, there was a lot of just feature requests, kind of the, the stuff you'd expect. Someone calls in and they're like, you know, this is like, I need this, I need that. Um, and that, that was really great. And actually, one of the things that one of the customer conversations that stands out to me is uh, a customer fundamentally changed how I think about software design. And I'm a designer, um, so I thought I knew what I was doing. But our whole pitch from the beginning was, we're simple. And everyone says that. No no one's going to be like, oh, yeah, we have really complex software. Uh, But a customer called up. A bunch of people had been asking, we want a task list. We want a calendar. And we kept saying, no, no, no. We're all about simplicity. We're just a contact list, notes, pipelines. That's all we're going to do. Go use Google Calendar. Go use this task list. And a customer at one point just got fed up with me and was like, listen here I have 15 tabs open right now I have my CRM I have my email I have my team chat I have you know this and this and this are you really telling me this is simple and that was kind of a light bulb moment for me when it uh, he explains to me simplicity is not that the software is easy to use simplicity is that my life as a customer is easy and you can make you know a mobile app that's just a blank screen that's very simple but it doesn't do anything useful for anyone and Anyone who chooses to install it, their life is more complicated by virtue of having this crappy app on their phone. He basically said, you need to be solving our problems and not worrying about whether or not your app is elegant. And that really set us on a new path for kind of what the product was going to be.
0: How do you then know where to draw the line? Because if you are now creating a calendar and it's not nearly as good as Google Calendar and Reminders, and they're not nearly as good as the the task list that comes with the phone (laughs) and so on... It, to some degree, it's, it's just all bad.
1: Yeah. So, I, I mean, hopefully the goal is to add things that aren't terrible. <laughs> uh, but you're right that obviously we don't have the resources of a Google. I think my trick for this is know who you're building it for. If you're building it for everybody, you can't make a CRM plus calendar plus task list that's better than what's out there. But if you say, for example, you know what? Like I, I have a friend who runs a business specifically for florists. And it's it's a software company, but that sells to florists. And he's like, I know this industry. And yeah, probably his invoicing is not as good as a dedicated invoicing tool, but for florists, it's better. And so we always took that approach of saying, one of the reasons we don't go after big companies, we don't sell to the enterprise, we stay really focused on small businesses, is because that focus on who we're building it for allows us to make the right compromises rather than just being elevator music, which everyone hates.
0: Um. Okay. So let's talk more about what, what happened with the business. You said that you bought ads, you were spending too much money. Eventually you kept tweaking and tweaking and tweaking until it did pay off that the ads were working. What Mm -hmm. are some of the tweaks that helped you get there?
1: Yeah. If you just kind of visualize the whole funnel from someone clicks an ad, they see a landing page of some sort from there. I don't know. Maybe they sign up for a free trial from there. You know, they have to get their contacts imported just every step of the way. Uh, you know, it's just all of these little tiny things. So there's the marketing side of things. What is our headline? Uh, Maybe originally I told you we weren't using the keyword CRM. Well, we had a really hard time messaging what we were. So as soon as we started calling ourselves less annoying CRM, things got a little bit easier. Um, Uh, Now,
0: wait, but then the problem is you're competing in a world where there's so many CRMs, as I said, and a lot of mm -hmm. them have a ton of money to throw at this. And now you're another CRM in that world. How do you compete there?
1: Yeah. So I think you can kind of, uh, what's the, there's one of the martial arts that's all about using your opponent's momentum against them. I think they, uh, it's jujitsu apparently. <laughs> jiu-jitsu? Okay. I, I guess. <laughs> Obviously I'm an expert on uh, martial yeah, arts here. Yeah. Uh, but basically that type of thing where one of the things you can assume if you're in a mature competitive industry and you're new, you mm-hmm. can assume your competitors are going to educate everybody about the, the purpose your software serves and you can okay. actually piggyback off their marketing um, so that's what the name less annoying CRM is. Is it's saying we're not going to educate anyone on what a CRM is. Salesforce is doing that. After you tried Salesforce and you hated it, come to us. And you can cut out multiple steps in the marketing funnel if you're just kind of swimming in a bigger competitor's wake like that. I think like right now, SavvyCal is doing this really well, where uh I don't know if you're familiar with them, but like Calendly is getting everyone aware of the fact that scheduling software is good. And then SavvyCal is just coming along and saying, hey, what if Calendly was a little bit better?
0: I thought they were coming in and saying, what if Calendly was a lot cheaper? This was the AppSumo software, right?
1: Uh, they might have done a deal. I, th- I so I'm Oh, a no, 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 Savvy no. I, I think customer. you're right.
0: I, you're right. I think that might be TidyCal is mm. Noah Kagan's <laughs> version. SavvyCal, you're right. They're saying, what if it had all these features that are uh, like... Cutting edge, first mover type features, and kept the simplicity. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I've been so watching anyway, them a lot. I, yeah, yeah, I, I get I, what you're I really saying. S-
1: yeah, it's not tactical advice; it's more strategy. But like, if you assume that your competitor is going to alienate people, and you go after those alienated people, you're not. It's not a head-to-head competition between us and Salesforce.
0: You know what I do see also? Uh, again, um, I use Semrush, their sponsors. so I've got this account that I use all the time. And I could spy on some of your ads. You're even competing with Act. I didn't even know that Act was still around as a CRM. Yeah, can You're you believe buying... that? <laughs> they are act.com.
1: Yeah, and for people who don't know, that's like from the 90s, maybe even 80s originally. Maybe even it's
0: in like... the 80s, they were desktop software. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that...
1: we have people who still. Con- I mean, less and less, you know, as time goes on. But we still have people who are like, "Well, I've got my Windows 95 machine with Act running on it, and I, I need to get in the cloud somehow." Uh, there are a lot of people out there. Like the tech industry ignores people like that. But uh-huh. uh, if you go after the kind of the older crowd, the less tech savvy crowd, there's a lot of good customers to be had there.
0: How how much of your time would you say you spent improving your marketing versus building in the early days?
1: Uh, uh, any good entrepreneur would say I didn't spend enough time on marketing, I think. Uh, I just don't like it, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I'd say in a typical week, maybe one day was spent on marketing and the rest was spent on product. Mm-hmm. Um, But the thing is, we, we've never really figured out marketing. Like the the natural question is we we have 25,000 users. How did we get them? And I can't really tell you like ads started it, but I guess just word of mouth or whatever. But as long as it was working, I was like, I guess if we just keep making the product better, uh, I can cross my fingers and hope this works. You're not even big with
0: content, right? You're not writing lots of blog posts, teaching people how to manage their contact. None of that.
1: Yeah, we do a little bit here and there. Like I, I just recently started a website called Less Annoying Business, where I'm kind of giving more like high level business content. And then we have mm-hmm. one marketing person who writes some CRM content. But for an 18 person company to have one marketing person is, uh, I would say, like less than typical.
0: And so then it seems if I had to figure out why you you're able to grow, it's improve the product, improve the the marketing and mostly just be around long enough that as long as you don't churn out your customers from frustration, they're just going to keep building. Their cus- their businesses will build and they'll grow with you. They'll uh, they'll bring other friends. They'll grow even if it's on massive growth. It's it's uh, it compounds.
1: Yeah, I, com- compounding is the name of the game here. I know a lot of people don't w- wouldn't be happy running a business for twelve years and being at still just $3 I mean, $3 a year sounds great to some people, but other people, like you spent 12 years getting there. Um, But the thing is, next year it'll be 15% higher. And the year after that, it'll be 15% higher. And it just keeps slowly getting bigger.
0: How are you doing 12 years into this? I want to get into the marketing and what you did with the Chrome Web (laughs) Store and others, but how do you feel being at this for 12 years?
1: I mean, I'm very happy. And also it's not, you know, what the plan was. (laughs) Uh... Like, I don't think anyone grows up dreaming of working at a CRM software company, but what I've found is that the the joy isn't in CRM or any individual aspect of it. The joy is kind of in like, I love thinking through problems. I love working with people I respect. And you 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 can do that at a new company or a 12-year-old company. You can do that uh, regardless of what market you're in. So I would have never planned it this way, but I actually kind of love my job today.
0: Do you take a lot of time off? Do you get like a month away where you get to fully disconnect so that it's all fresh?
1: I haven't taken that long of a stretch this whole time. I've thought about we, we as a benefit to all employees, we do have a sabbatical, which I have not taken. And I have thought about maybe doing that, but I take, I'd say a normal amount of vacation. We give everybody 30 days uh, a year and that's how much I take.
0: I've done that. It's so helpful. But mm. I have to full. I have to fully appreciate that I'm doing it, or else I I don't get the benefit
1: of it. If that makes sense. So what do you do? Because I I was actually just thinking about this earlier today, and I'm like, I think I would just want to like launch a new product in that month, or so. Like I I don't know what I would do with my time. I need. I do need a thing that's going to capture my attention. It has to be something
0: like I'm going to go run a marathon on every continent, and I'll be on Antarctica by the way for two weeks, completely disconnected because there's no internet or some random thing like that. <laughs> Where because if it's just take a vacation. I don't think I could do that unless I fall apart. I do, yeah. I, like
1: if you got burnout or something, maybe vacations, right? But I, yeah, yeah. I like no, I, I need a thing. And, and frankly, even
0: where we, my wife sets us up for vacations on a regular basis, I don't get a lot of uh, recharge out of that unless there's a project that i am doing if we're just on the beach if we're spending time with friends it doesn't do enough spending time with friends i do that here anyway i am going to go see yeah. the two people that i when i that i interviewed one that listened in a in a few hours today for dinner or drinks i don't need a vacation for that what i think you're right i think we need to find our own thing that's our vacation that's where the excitement comes in
1: yeah. Because, okay. So like what I'm hearing, taking a break, a lot of the advice you hear is for people like assumes burnout. If you're in a high stress, right. you don't get another vacation. And that's one thing, but there's also a, if you want to do something for like, how long have you been doing Mixergy? Like about Not the same, same amount of time, right? Yep. So if you've been doing something for 12 years, it's a different type of break. And it's maybe more to get new experiences and challenge yourself rather than uh, to, to unwind.
0: Yeah. There were times when I was exhausted where a week on the beach, no one bothering me, really helpful. Um, but even then I would do long rides and long runs but I I think you're right. Somebody needs to reimagine the vacation for us, for people Mm -hmm. who need to do a thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I will say I've sort of uh, started doing something the last four or so years where I'll do little work retreats for maybe two or three weeks, uh, maybe two or three periods that are maybe 10 10 days a a piece where I'll fly somewhere, I'll bring all my computer monitors, my full setup. It's all about working on Less Annoying CRM. But for that week, I say, I'm not dealing with the normal stuff. I'm not managing anybody. I'm not worrying about emails. I'm just going to like code or design or do something that I used to love doing, but uh-huh. I don't have time to do anymore.
0: Oh, Tyler, that's a great idea that it's just your personal hackathon almost. Yeah. Where everyone leaves you alone. You get to do this one thing. And oh, that makes sense. All right, let me talk about my second sponsor, and then we'll get back into this. Imagine somebody, Tyler, is listening to us and he goes, you know what? I think I'm going to jump on that idea. I think there are entrepreneurs who need a different type of vacation. I'm going to find the one thing that's good, that's really good for them. Oh, you know what it is? A lot of people sent this is an idea for someone to go and run with on hostgator.com slash Mixergy, my sponsor for hosting websites. Imagine if they said, look, entrepreneurs, they don't just want a beach vacation, What they want is some kind of activity where they learn, but it needs to be disconnected from work because if it's too close to work, then they're still at work. What if they put together a, we're going to teach you this one random skill week with five other entrepreneurs where it's now, this is your space. We're going to go to Costa Rica. It'll be beautiful. It'll be a thing. But at the end, you walk away with this one skill. I don't know what that skill is. But it needs to be that one thing that you're working on, that your mind goes into, that you go back into, into, into newbie mode. What do you think of that?
1: That sounds very appealing. I wonder what that skill <laughs> would be. What's skill? Uh, yeah, for would- me, I, w- I would love to, like, I have this concern that I'm getting, I'm like losing touch with new tech. Like I used to be a coder mm-hmm. and like I code less and less. So I, that's what I would go for is like, catch me up. Give me the last 10 years of tech advancement.
0: Ooh, that's another thing, actually. That's like what accountants, I think, will do where they have to go back to school to learn what's what's new, right? I think you're right. There's some kind of boot camp for developers, for entrepreneurs, where it's, you've been using the same thing, you want to know what's new, we're going to teach you just this new stuff, but we're not going to teach it to you like babies, and we're not going to teach it to you like your life and business depend on it. It's just, let's catch up. Here's what's new. Here's how you create. It. Oh, two great businesses. Listen to me, people. Whether it's one of these two businesses or anything else, you're going to need a website in order to tell people about it, in order to show people what you're doing. Well, if you want to set it up with WordPress, which is a great flexible uh, software that will grow with your business, well, I highly recommend you do what I do, which is go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy and get... Get HostGator to host it. It's inexpensive. It just works. They've been around forever. And frankly, if you don't agree with me, I've been with them for years, but if you don't agree with me and you're not happy with them, you take your software, you go somewhere else. Who else is going to do that for you? Do it right now. Go to HostGator.com Mixergy. I love that. I love the ideas we kick around in the HostGator ads. <laughs> All right. Some of the things that you tried for marketing and product development include the Chrome Web Store. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we talk about that? And then we'll go through the list that I've got here. What'd you do with the Chrome Web Store?
1: Yeah. So this is since defunct. So I'm not sure who remembers this, but uh, when the Chrome browser launched shortly after they started the Chrome Web Store, which is just like a direct, it was like an app store, but just that pointed to websites. Yep. Um, so anyone could That's get why none of
0: us used it. I thought it would be so <laughs> great. I wanted Chrome to be in its own operating system. I got my Chromebook and then they said, you can install apps. I said, great. I could take the app no matter what, what hardware I use, take it with me, no matter what computer I use. Mm-hmm. And then I looked- and I remember seeing the freaking Huffington Post had a Chrome web app. And I said, there's no way that there's an app. Let's see what they did. It's nothing but a link back to their site. And then I realized people are cheating. This is not real software. It's just you taking advantage. And then it's Chrome. The, the people at Google also saying, let's use a Huffington Post's name to add credibility and ruin the whole thing that we're going for. But what did you do with it? You linked out to less annoying CRM and then got mm-hmm. customers that way?
1: Yeah. And yeah, it was, there was very limited integration ability, but one thing you could do is when they clicked on it, it it could authentic, like they click install, it could authenticate through their Google account and just, they jump right into the account. Oh, that's so great. we were able to make it a pretty seamless process, but otherwise it's just a bookmark to our website. But, you know, there's all these different marketing channels out there and being early to the right one can be huge. Um, my I helped my mom run a food blog that like, she's a full-time food blogger. She just got on Pinterest at the right time and you couldn't uh, do it today.
0: It wouldn't work. Have you been on the wrong platform, been first in something that you shouldn't have been?
1: Yeah. Well, similarly with Google, we tried the, uh, I forget what it's called, like the enterprise, like the Google apps marketplace or something like that, which was similar to the Chrome web store, but way more work because you had to integrate with mm. the, or G Suite, whatever it was called at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. We put a lot yeah. of effort into that. And I think we got one free trial signup from it. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, that is a disappointment. Every once in a while, I'll be in my Google Drive and they'll say you can use their their marketplace to find a PDF reader or something. And I, I don't know, it just yeah. doesn't get me. But the Chrome Web Store was a success, right? Even though they shut mm-hmm. it down, you ended up with customers you got to keep for life. Yeah, absolutely. For
1: a long time, uh, that was our biggest source of, of new leads. It was kind of low quality leads in the sense that we had to get a lot more of them Uh, like the the conversion rate was pretty low to paid. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just free people coming in the door every day. So I can't complain about that.
0: Multi-level marketing company was recommending you? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: That was another growth channel where, uh, yeah, there's, you know, 40,000 people in this uh, MLM company. A few kind of of the lower level people liked us and it started trickling up the chain. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, you know, they kind of have this this whisper network of uh, spreading the word there.
0: And the challenge with that was what happened when... When they decide to make their own,
1: yes, exactly. So uh, we we had been working with kind of the corporate level of the MLM to they were recommending us, but then they decided to make their own CRM and give it for free to everybody, which doesn't come as a surprise, honestly. That's what I would do. But uh, you know, the theme of all of it, whether it's the Chrome Web Store that gets shut down or the partnership with the multi level marketing company which eventually goes away, I said earlier we haven't figured out marketing. We've had little temporary successes here or there, but we've tried you know, 10 things for every one thing that worked and every one thing that worked stopped working two years later. So it's just about trying a million different things. And every time something works, just saying, well, it's time to get the next one in place because we know that this is temporary.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. And as you're building this up, do you find that there's been a year that's been where sales were lower than the previous year or is it always growing?
1: It's always growing, but the rate of acceleration fluctuates a little bit. So we've, we've uh, really only had two negative months where revenue went down ever, and those were the first two months of the pandemic. Um, other than that, it's always gone up. But prior to the pandemic, we were growing at like 9% per year, and now we're growing at, I think, 18% per year. So things have, you know, they slowed down and pick back up again, and that's happened a few times. You
0: know what I don't know, I haven't figured out with Less Annoying CRM, it's who is your customer? I, I think the, one of the first things that happens when someone sets an account is you say, how do you want us to set it up? Are you a coach? Are you a consultant? Are you, uh, are you in sales? Right. Mm -hmm. Do you, I don't find that a lot of your competitors do that. And partially it's because of the way they think about onboarding, but part, but the other reason is they're focused on one thing, right?
1: Yeah. I'd say they're the people who came before us, like Salesforce are focused on everybody and they, they aren't niche at all. And then the people who came after us, the CRMs that came after us, are in many cases like industry specific. So it's a travel agent for CRMs, or a travel agent for, uh, or a, sorry, a CRM for travel agents. Um, yeah, we kind of were in this middle zone where our niche was just small business. That's too big of a niche now. Like it would not be smart to go after that now. But that was our positioning back in 2009 when it was a much smaller market. What we've ended up attracting is basically if you go on G2.com, which is just like a review site with for lots of companies, including CRM companies, they'll tell you the top industries for every CRM. And if you look, almost every CRM is selling to startups, big tech companies, marketing agencies. Those are the top three for every single one. If you look at us, I mean, I haven't checked in a while, but it's probably like manufacturing companies, uh, real estate agents, insurance agents. Like it's just kind of traditional old school businesses. Uh, ah, yeah, that makes sense.
0: You know what? A lot of the CRMs also go after sales. Because salespeople mm-hmm. are constantly looking for software, they're willing to try, right? And they have a budget, and this is core. But um, yeah, the people who
1: use the sale—the people who use the CRM—are going to be the salespeople at pretty much any company. Um, but the, you know, it, it depends a lot on what industry they're in in terms of like how do the salespeople operate. For example, how much automation do they need? Our customers are not highly automated businesses. Whereas a startup is trying to scale everything possible and we're not the right fit for that.
0: What do you mean by automation? What's an example of automation that's done in CRM?
1: Yeah, so there's a few different ones, but like email automation is really popular these days where, uh, well, actually we do it to our customers. You were saying like someone signs up for our software, they kind of automatically get an email that's welcoming to them, them to the CRM yeah. and stuff like that. And they it can get really robust where it's like if it's an e-commerce company, you can say, oh, you clicked on this thing. We, we're going to recommend this other thing to you. So it's kind of like sales, but it's not coming from a salesperson. It's coming from a computer. Uh, our customers tend to be more artisan in their approach. It's it's not trying to turn it into an assembly line. It's like, I'm going to build a real relationship with another human. I'm going to call them or meet them or one way or another interact with them. And then I'm going to enter a note into the CRM. It's very, very simple.
0: All right. That makes sense. And then when you can't pitch it to a specific type of business, what do you do in when you're communicating what less CRM, uh, less annoying CRM is and who it's for?
1: Uh, sorry, you mean like if we're talking to someone who doesn't fit in our sweet spot? You know who I think about? I think
0: about Steli FD with Close.io, mm-hmm. right? He is just like the sales rock star for the sales per- for this this group of people who just love doing sales. I see who he's going after. I see how he talks. I see how he communicates. He's going to be at a sales conference. He's going to talk to you like a salesperson. He's going to be aggressive and in your face because you love that kind of talk, because you're craving that from your manager, right? He's going to write a book about how to sell and close call, how to to close cold calls and stuff like that, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When you have that kind of a clarity on who you're going after, it makes sense. The communication methods make sense. When less annoying CRM is communicating, who do you keep in mind? How do you, how do you talk?
1: Uh, It's a great question. And like, I don't think I have a great answer here uh, because like, I'm not Steli. Like Steli is so much better at this than I am, but I'm just kind of a product person. And so this is going to be an unsatisfying answer, but I think we just really try to connect with authenticity and just say, Hey, you've tried a million CRMs and you hated them. Like let's, let's Use that as the starting point. You're not going to uh, hate this one. That's it.
0: <laughs> no, no, I get it. I get. It. I get what you're talking about. The person who is just frustrated by how confusing and distracting the CRM is from their day, no matter whether they're in real estate or or manufacturing. They they may not be the same. But they have the same sensibility, the same problem. They want to be communicated with in the same way. They don't want all the Zapier integrations on their homepage. They don't want you to curse at a presentation <laughs> to them, right? They want you to say, it's okay. We got you. We're going to keep this simple.
1: Yeah. And to, to be honest, I have never heard Close as an alternative to us.
0: No, me neither. That's why I felt um, comfortable bringing them up. In this. Yeah. I, I said, <laughs> he's not going to turn, get turned off and- Stop paying right, attention. Because there,
1: there are a lot of people who love Steli's approach and like they just don't overlap at all with the people who like my approach and the world is big. And, uh, you know, I guess there's a certain type of, uh, yeah, I, this is like too much of a stereotype, but like a Midwestern <laughs> uh, aesthetic or something like that of just like a blue collar. Like we're not a fancy tech company. Just you can come use this and get back to your day. Where are you? St. Louis, Missouri, right? Yeah. Okay. Although we started in San Francisco, I'm kind of, uh, Uh, I'm fake. (laughs) What were you doing in San Francisco? Uh, I just moved there when we started the company. I didn't even, I was so stupid. I didn't even know that's where all the tech companies were. (laughs) Um, I just had a friend there and I got there and I was like, oh, okay. I guess this is the tech industry. (laughs) I like
0: that you say on your website, here's our address. Come say hi. I've done that. People do come and say hi. That
1: happened to you? Uh, It's happened once ever. And they were really mad, (laughs) not at us, thankfully, but it was a little scary. They came in and their boss had just fired them and they used less annoying CRM. So we were kind of like, should we keep putting our address on there? But no, just that one time.
0: (laughs) I had an issue with the receptionist would just send people over to my desk. And if I wasn't at my desk, like going to the bathroom, going downstairs to Starbucks or something, they would just be in the office. People would leave me messages saying, Andrew, I missed you. Here's the thing. What kind of, who does that? If I'm putting my, just because someone says they're here for me, don't let them into the office, a little more constrained, but thankfully nothing, nothing weird has happened. And a lot of good has happened. If anything, don't take anything. They drop off a bottle of whiskey, which is great. I mean, not now that works. I'm not at the office, but
1: it's great. maybe, Maybe we should update our footer to say that please bring us whiskey. Ooh, no,
0: you know what? You should be, you should be inviting them over for something. Like what's your thing? It's hard. Mm. Whiskey's good because whiskey never spoils. I do enjoy it. Come in after work. I'll have a good time having a sip with you. All right. Let's continue here with the story then. You did have this one low low point that I wasn't sure how to bring up. This period where, well, you told our producer a lot of things happen at the same time. And then the first people also who were working with you were friends, but now you hire people who weren't friends. And so that builds in another layer of complication. Could you talk about that? What was going on?
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of things happen. So I'm not sure I'll say this in the right order, but just from a business standpoint, first of all, in the early days, if things are going well, it's really easy to convince yourself you're gonna be the next, you know, Google or Salesforce or whatever. Because when you only have a hundred dollars in revenue, 10xing that isn't I don't want to say it's not hard because like so many companies struggle with that, and as did we, it's hard, but it's like doable. You can 10x at that size. And you kind of talk yourself into like, we're just going to keep doing this forever. And eventually it comes uh, like reality sets in, which is things were going great. We were growing, but expectations that had been set earlier were not being met. Instead of doubling or tripling year over year, we were growing 50% year over year. And so that was number one. And then in addition to that, like the people we'd hired during the really high growth period who had come on to become billionaires they're kind of seeing this and saying, well, I don't see a path here where I'm going to be a billionaire, you know? And there was some, there was kind of a point of tension where it's like, who are we going to be as a company? And I think that the decision we faced was we could go raise money or forget all the less annoying stuff and you know, start taking credit cards up front and do all that stuff that we don't want to do and just try to hustle our way back to that really hyper growth. Or we could just lean into it and accept our, our status as kind of a low growth, but still successful business. And as you can tell, I went with the latter option and that did, uh, I mean, the, the reality is I kind of like, I bailed on a couple of the early employees who were also both two very good friends of mine by virtue of not trying for the thing that I originally promised them when they came on. So can you decide uh, that that's a hard thing to, to confront. I could
0: see if, if there isn't an outside pressure to, to decide, I could see just slowly going into whichever one feels right. Yeah. You had to decide. How
1: did you make that decision? What helped is that a kind of constraint that my brother and I had from the very, very beginning was we were not going to raise money. And the big reason is because like in my last company, I actually think I, I always give the advice to, you know, young, like high school or college age people go work somewhere before you start your own company not to learn anything about how to do things, but to learn what you don't want. Everything you hate about that, <laughs> go start a company that's not that. Um, I hated being at the whims of venture capitalists at my last company. And we were just 100% from, uh, set from day one. We're not raising any money. That helped. Uh, so this goes back to... uh just having a guiding light, right? There are all these hard decisions and decision fatigue is such a hard thing with being a founder that you've got a thousand different things you need to decide. If you're approaching every single one with without first principles, without you know this guidance, it's exhausting and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. So I think we just followed, well, we're not raising money and that kind of made the decision for mm-hmm. us. Got it. So we're not raising money then and we're not
0: increasing growth. That does still leave an opportunity for why can't Tyler go to a conference and talk to somebody? Why can't Tyler then reach out to Jason Freed and say, I read your book. It's not happening fast enough. Why can't, mm-hmm. why, why didn't Tyler blame himself? And did others blame you?
1: Well, I, I would say I did blame myself in you the did. sense that like I was, there's a difference, I think, between blaming yourself and beating yourself up. Like I knew that I was not, that, uh, you know, I'm the CEO and co-founder. And if the company's not growing as fast as I want, ultimately that comes down to me. Absolutely. But also like we were growing 50% year over year, like, and I was happy and I liked my job and the newer people we'd hired were happy. Uh, it's just that we weren't going to be this thing we once thought.
0: Mm. I get that. I feel that sometimes too. And then I wonder if this, like, is this a temporary thing or what? The sense of, I'm actually happy where I am. Mm-hmm. It makes makes sense. Maybe I should be pushing for more, but God knows I've said that in the, in past interviews, so maybe I'll come back, but it, it's, it, it does feel pretty damn good.
1: Yeah. And something that I think people mistake about this and I mistook it in the early, like I never wanted to be a billionaire. I don't know why I ever set that as the goal, but we live in a culture where ambition is equated with financial greed almost. Um, there are ways to be ambitious and to always push yourself and learn and try to have a better impact on the world that don't necessarily involve the business becoming bigger or whatever. And we are becoming bigger, but just slower than we thought the the amount of challenge in my life has not decreased as a result of this slower trajectory. It just means I'm working on other things that I find more satisfying.
0: What's the most satisfying part of your job?
1: The surprising thing. So I still love product. Um, I, I just intrinsically love that. But the thing I really didn't expect was the team building uh, aspect of it. Because you know, like you said, I don't. I don't particularly like dealing with people, talking to people. I don't like the actual work of being a manager. But the impact you can have on another person by giving them a really great job and helping them grow and be happy and succeed. It's very, very hard to have that level of impact in any other way. And so, do I just, how do you help them grow and succeed? What's your What's your process? Well, we've hired almost exclusively entry level people. Um, so people, you know, fresh out of college, or in some cases, didn't go to college. Uh, we've uh, of our team of software engineers, half of them did not know how to code when they started working here. Uh, so if you just bring people on that are, you know, smart, talented, fun to work with, but aren't where they want to be yet. Um, I think like a, a small business or a startup is just such a great place for them to try new things. You know, you tell me what you want to do. What what skills do you want to learn? And, and I'll just help you get there.
0: And then do you have anything more formal than that? Or is it they're
1: new, they're getting to see things, that's it? That's a lot of it. Um, I think at a bigger company, you need to systematize everything because you, you can't just be like, use your best judgment because... There's no one person's judgment. I actually think small businesses uh, tend to over that. Everyone wants to act like the big company, but doing so actually remove. this. Goes back to what we said earlier. You have to do things big companies won't do. And yeah. um, there, there's no replacing being able to sit next to the CEO. Like, and Salesforce so you'll literally cannot have somebody that. sit
0: next to your seat, next to you, watch what you're doing throughout the day.
1: Um, less, li- at one point, literally, yes. Uh, nowadays, it's more. Um, Cause you know, we're 20 people instead of five. So we're a little closer to the big, bigger company end of the spectrum. But yeah, like every developer, when we're doing project planning, I'm in the meeting, planning the project with them and helping them. And I do one-on-ones with every single person at the company, at least twice a year and say, you know, what do you like, what skills do you want to learn over the next six months? Or what's your least favorite thing about the job that we can make better? Or if five years from now, you're not working here, why let me go fix it. Um, So I wouldn't say I'm amazing at this or anything, but just caring and trying it is probably enough at this size of company, I think.
0: I think also getting access to see the day-to-day stuff. I think it was Sean Purry, the investor who who made an offer to an entrepreneur, I forget who it was, early in his career, he said, can I just come and sit next to you? I'll pay you to just sit next to you for a day so I can watch how you do things. And I get why he would do that because there's a lot to be learned from the big stuff that to, that you get to watch, but it's the small stuff often that has the bigger impact. Like I remember one of the first things I learned on my job in college was that my boss decided to listen to something coming into the office that was more intentional than most people he wasn't just listening to whatever radio podcast show that people were listening to he went out and he sought these programs that were going to fire him up for the morning the way that he would take notes on calls he wasn't just sitting and talking he would constantly scribble down notes in a way that organized that was or, that was organized for him um i remember act I discovered ACT when I worked for Dale Carnegie and Associates, they would have the structure for how to keep track of conversations from people. And I used ACT for years and then I just realized it's not great. Um, but the fact that they would organize their their notes on people so that they could be be able to follow up with them even years later, that was really eye-opening, right? It's those little habits, I think, that have a lot of impact. And that's what you're saying, people who work for you get to see. And that's where some of the satisfaction comes from.
1: Yeah. I think as people get older, they forget that like you learned everything somewhere and the, the wisdom an experienced person can impart on an inexperienced person, one hour of time can change a person's life. Yeah. Um, something I really love doing. We have, we have this program called the Coding Fellowship where every summer we bring in about six people who don't know how to code and teach them to code and help them get into the tech industry. And th- the first couple of years I taught all the lessons myself. Since then someone else has taken it over, but I still do one-on-ones occasionally with the Coding Fellows. And in one hour, I like, okay, let's say they're a freshman in college thinking about majoring in computer science. I can just be like, hey, did you know that this is how the world works? Did you know that the tech interview process works this way? It takes like no effort on my part. And they didn't know any of that stuff. It it can really change their trajectory. And it's super rewarding.
0: All right. The website is Less Annoying CRM, and you've got a podcast. The podcast is at startup to last.com. Right. That's correct. All right. I want to thank two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you need a website hosted, go to hostgator.com slash mixergy. and the oh wait, you're hosted on transistor, right? The podcast Trans- is, your podcast. Yeah. And then you're just using their website. It looks good. Yeah. They make yeah. it easy. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. You know what? Justin Jackson, the founder of that company, I've just been playing with this software. He makes things really easy. Like the fact that he's got a podcast hosting company whose website does not suck, that's a huge step forward. And its it looks so good. I was ready to say, you must've done this on WordPress with some customization. No, he just changed the colors on his it Took like software. five minutes. <laughs> yeah, looks fantastic. All right, so if you're not using Transistor and you need a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And I do really think that people should be selling content um, and the way to do that is to go to memberfulcom slash They'll let you start. They'll let you start with their software for free. Free trial available right now. All right, man. Thanks for, so much for doing this interview. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. This is fun. Thanks. Bye, everyone.